Our scripture this morning is from John 20, 24 through 31. If you have already read scripture as you've gone through the order of worship in the bulletin, just fast forward to the morning prayer. But some of you have said, uh, we like hearing you read the scripture just before the message. And uh, so we'll do that for those. We're reading the same scripture we read last week. Last week, we dealt with the first part of this, dealing with Thomas and Jesus' confrontation and Thomas's confession. But we will look this morning at the response that Jesus made. John 20, verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, the play, and place my finger into the mark of the nail, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, signs which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray together. Our Father, again this morning, we're separated geographically, but we're brought together as one church, as one local church family through the power of your Holy Spirit. And we worship together. Our Father, we pray and yearn for the day that we will be united in this sanctuary again. But until then, we thank you for the great blessings that we have received through worshiping you and being with you in worship in our homes. We pray that you would bless our brothers and sisters in Christ as they worship in their homes this morning. Our Father, as priests this morning, the congregation of priests at Christ Presbyterian, we pray for Billy Griggs. We ask that you would comfort him, strengthen him in body, but especially, Father, strengthen him in soul and heart. Give him a spirit of anticipation as he looks forward to what you have prepared for him. We pray for Tony Hunt this morning that you will continue to bless and bring healing to his knee and that that infection Our Father, we ask that you would take her by the hand 
and in your grace, in your time, lead her home. May she know the peace. May she know the confidence that Jesus Christ brings. Bless Peggy Bauer. We pray that, Father, the pain that you would soon bring her to the day that she will have a permanent relief from this pain. Bless Grady McDonald. Father, strengthen him. Strengthen him in his walking. Strengthen him in his entire body. Do bless him. Give him patience. We pray for Charlie Dawkins, Father, that you would bring healing from this cancer. Our Father, we pray for our families who have parents and grandparents in care centers and are unable to visit them. We pray that you would bless those parents and grandparents. We pray that they might know the companionship of Jesus Christ and that they might find blessing in the fellowship they have with others inside those care centers. We pray that you would bless the children and grandchildren of those parents and grandparents and give them patience. And Father, we pray that that contact and that care will be able to be expressed again soon. Our Father, we pray for the eradication of COVID-19, just a complete eradication from it. You've told us to pray bold prayers, and we know these matters are in your hands. We pray again that it would come nigh, Christ Presbyterian that you would save us from this. Now as we open your word, our Father, we pray that you would speak to us where we are, in our living rooms, in our kitchens, in our bedrooms, as we attend to your word, as we have spoken to you in worship, we now, Father, look to you to speak to us. We pray that we would hear your voice in our hearts. John Sartell cannot teach so that it can make any difference in our lives, so that we'll be changed or continue to be changed from the inside out. But we've heard you speak before. We pray that we would hear your voice in our hearts again this morning. We're just your children, Father, asking you to teach us. For the glory of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. <clears throat> believing is seeing. I want to start today by asking you to use your imagination. Imagine that you are Jesus. Imagine that you have done exactly what he did in the Gospels. You have called the disciples. You have taught them. You turned the water into wine at the wedding feast. You've made the blind to see, the paralyzed to walk. You've healed from every type of disease. You stopped that storm. You raised the dead. Twice you fed several thousand people with the fish and loaves. All along the way, you taught your disciples exactly who you were and what you had come to do. You explained over and over again that 
you had come to die for sin. You had come to be an atoning sacrifice. You told them that you would be killed. But you also told them that the third day after you were killed, you would return from death. So in your imagination, you come out of that tomb on the morning of the first day of the week, and none of your disciples are there. The Roman soldiers guarding the tomb were petrified when a powerful and fierce angel came out of nowhere. All you see is their backsides as they're fleeing. The last you saw of your disciples was Thursday night when they were running for their lives. Oh, you did later see Peter in the courtyard as he denied even knowing you. You did see John at Golgotha. But none were at the tomb waiting. So you left two angels at the tomb to give them a message, to give the disciples message whenever they did come. And when you encounter the women coming from the tomb, you discover that they've not come to greet you. They haven't come to look for you. They were carrying burial spices to anoint your corpse. Because you are Jesus, you know that two of your disciples are already on their way home. They're on the road to Emmaus. They've left Jerusalem. They're walking away from it all. They're leaving. Because you are Jesus, you know that many of your disciples are gathered in that upper room where you celebrated the Passover with them. They're hiding. You also know that they're in utter despair because you have failed to be the Messiah that they were expecting. They no longer think of you as the Messiah of Israel. In their wildest dreams, they are not expecting you. So here's my question. If you are Jesus, if you're Jesus, when you do catch up to them, what do you say? What did, what did Jesus say to these errant disciples? Look at that first encounter with those two men that had left Jerusalem, headed home on the road to Emmaus. And Jesus falls in with them. His identity is kept from them. And they tell him all that's happened as he pretends to know nothing. What did he say to them when they said, we had hoped that he would be the Messiah of Israel? They had hoped. It was all past. 
What did he say? It's in Luke 24, 25. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow to heart to believe all the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. What did he say? He sounded like John the baptizer. Oh, foolish ones, and slow to heart to believe. He rebuked them. He did not say, well, guys, I know. I understand. I don't blame you. He was saying, are you kidding me? You saw all I did for three years? Things only God could do? You even confess that you believe I was Messiah, the Son of God? And you're now walking down this road of unbelief? Now that was one encounter. What happened when he went to those disciples hiding in the, other, in the upper room? It's in Luke 24, 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them. And he said to them, Peace be to you. They were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? He was saying, What is this? Mark said it this way in Mark 16, 14. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves that they were reclining at table. And he rebuked them. He rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed. Why weren't you at the tomb? Why are you standing there looking at me in unbelief? Now, we have all looked at these passages passages previously and have focused, usually focused on the despair and unbelief of the disciples. We have done that the last three weeks. But most of us have never looked at these scenes from the perspective of Jesus. Now Jesus was not mean with his disciples, but he was not pleased he got in their faces about it. Why weren't you at the tomb waiting? Why weren't you at the tomb to greet me? Why are you standing there looking at me in unbelief? They had lost their faith. They had abandoned the faith that he had taught them for three years. Think about it. 24 hours after that incredible night in the upper room, when he had instituted a new Passover, these people closest to him had not only abandoned him, they had abandoned their faith. They had abandoned everything he had taught them. It is one thing to abandon him in Gethsemane. We understand that. They were, they were afraid for their lives. But it's another thing not to be at the tomb waiting. It's another thing not to be expecting him. 
Now let's return to where we left off last week. We have an incredible lesson to learn in just the next few minutes. We left off, remember, with Thomas responding to Jesus' presence. My Lord and my God. How did Jesus speak to him? What did Jesus say? Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Jesus said, Thomas, do you believe because you've seen me? Then he pronounced the blessing, a blessing. And it was not a blessing on Thomas. He said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. I do not believe Jesus was affirming the old adage, seeing is believing. In fact, I'm sure he wasn't. I think it was just the opposite. I think he was really rebuking Thomas. Thousands of people had seen, had physically seen, Jesus make the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the paralyzed to walk, the dead to rise. Thousands had seen him do that. But they had not believed. Seeing did not make them believers. For instance, Caiaphas. Caiaphas knew Jesus had risen from the dead. The guards from the tomb had told him the supernatural sight they had seen. He he, he gave the soldiers money to go into the city and tell a lie that he knew was alive. He knew Jesus had risen. It was a testimony of these soldiers. But he did not believe Jesus was the Messiah. Remember Jesus' parable about the poor man and Lazarus, the rich man? The poor man is in Luke 16, and it's a parable. It's a story told by Jesus. And Lazarus sat at the gate of the rich man's estate. The rich man died and went to Hades. Lazarus, the poor man, was carried by angels to the side of Abraham. The rich man cried to Abraham to let Lazarus go back and warn his brothers of this awful judgment that was coming. He said they will believe if one rises from the dead. If Lazarus goes back, they will believe. Send Lazarus. And what did Jesus say that Abraham told the rich man? If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Jesus, what was Jesus saying? 
people will see a resurrection and still not believe. People, the message of this passage is faith is not a matter of just physically seeing. Let me say it again. Faith is not a matter of just physically seeing. Again, remember what happened when Jesus actually did raise Lazarus of Bethany from the dead? This is no parable. He really did. Lazarus, Mary, and Martha were a family of means. They were friends of Jesus. They were prominent. They lived on the outskirts of Jerusalem in Bethany. Many of the leaders from the Sanhedrin, because this was a prominent family, were at the funeral. They knew Lazarus was dead. A week after he was raised, there was a huge banquet celebration in Bethany honoring Lazarus and Jesus. Members of the Sanhedrin were there. Read it in John chapter 12. It's incredible. I still remember the first time I saw it. What was their response to Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead? Was it, he really must be the Messiah? We've got to change our attitude toward it. No. They looked at Lazarus and said, we've got to get rid of Lazarus. We've got to kill Lazarus. We've got to get him back in the tomb. Look it up. They had seen a resurrection, and yet they would not believe. Our text is saying the scriptures, the scriptures are more powerful than these miracles. You say, how does it say that? Let's look at it. In the post-resurrection appearances, what do we read over and over and over again? We read that Jesus appeared. We also read that he that read that he always had the same message. What did he say to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now remember, he didn't have the New Testament; it was just the Old Testament. He took the New Testament, the Word of God, and says, here is where you see who I am. Here's about the incarnation, God becoming flesh. Here is about my death for sin. Here is about the resurrection. We saw he not only did that with the men on the road to Emmaus, he did it with the disciples that first night after the resurrection. How many times have we thought, if I could just have been there to see Jesus stop that storm, I would really believe. I've thought that. How many of us have thought, if I had been there when he raised his friend Lazarus from the dead, I would really believe. Or we've thought, if, if I had been there 
with the disciples that first evening Jesus appeared to them, I would believe. I've thought that way, and I know you have also. Wake up. Don't miss this. Look at the rest of our text this morning. John 20, 30, and it's joined with what has just happened. It's a comment by the Apostle John, and it's bound. It's inextricably entwined with what, with what Jesus said to Thomas after Thomas' confession. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, signs which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. What was he saying? John said there were a lot more miracles than these. There were a lot more incredible evidences of Jesus than these. But these are written. These are in the Word of God. These are included in the Gospels that you might believe in Jesus. Do you see it? There's something better than being there and seeing him. There's scripture. Scripture spoken by the Holy Spirit. Let's just stop right now and look at one other scene and one other scripture. Listen to Jesus speaking to the disciples the night he was betrayed. There was a, a long discourse. He spoke about his leaving. And he said this in John 16, 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. And then you skip down to verse 12. I still have many things to say to you. But you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you and he will tell you. Did you hear it? You would think he would have said it would really be to your advantage if I stayed, but he didn't say that. He said it, it will be to your advantage that I go away. You see, you have the Holy Spirit of the living God coming, bringing Scripture to you. He was saying, you'll have something better. With the Scripture that the Holy Spirit brings, you'll have something better than my presence. That's hard to understand, isn't it? So let me ask you a question. Putting all this together, would you rather meet personally with Jesus for an hour, for two hours, just the two of you? Would, you? would you rather have that? Or would you rather have the New Testament for the rest of your life? I'll give you a choice. Come meet Jesus up here in the North X, 2 o'clock on Monday. We'll schedule different meetings with him. Then you can be with him personally, physically, for a couple of hours. Or 
you can have the New Testament for the rest of your life. But you can't have both. What's your answer? What is the right answer theologically? Jesus told us. It's to your advantage that I go away. For I, if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. The Holy Spirit will come and he will teach you what I want to tell you, but you're not ready right now. How do we have the inspired word of God? In the New Testament, it was the work of the Holy Spirit speaking through the apostles. They had the choice. The physical presence of Christ, he could have remained. No. Then the Holy Spirit wouldn't have come. The Holy Spirit comes. They have the scriptures. Just as he inspired the writings of the prophets in the Old Testament, he would inspire the apostles in the writings of the New Testament. Are you hearing Jesus this morning? We see and know Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit in the Scriptures. The truth is that you see this morning in Fayette County, this morning as Christians at Christ Presbyterian Church, the truth is that you see Jesus through the Scriptures of the Old and New Testaments more clearly than Thomas did face-to-face in the upper room. Thomas did not have the beauty of all the Gospels laid out. He didn't have that incredible theological tome that we call Romans. He didn't have the magnificent book of Revelation, as Jesus has revealed, as the risen, ascended, reigning, transcendent Son of Man and Son of God. He had none of that. People, my physical eyesight is not the author of my faith. It's not the source of my faith. The source of my faith, the author of my faith, or excuse me, my faith, my faith is the author, is the source of what I see of my eyesight. Now, physical eyesight is not the author of my faith. My faith is the author of my eyesight. That's what Jesus was saying to Tom. The historical narratives of the Old Testament, the law and the prophets in the Old Testament. Sometimes we think they're boring, but do you know what they shout to us? Do you know what they shout to us? Come and see Jesus. Come and know Jesus. He's there in Exodus. He's there in Psalms. He's there in Isaiah. He's there in Jeremiah. The Word of God in the New Testament shouts to us. Come and see Jesus. The book of Revelation shouts to us. Come and see the risen, ascended, and reigning, and transcendent Jesus. The church of Jesus Christ shouts to us. Come and meet with us 
and see Jesus. Jesus is always there in our midst. Oh, don't look at this passage and say, oh, my, my faith would be greater if I had just been there to see Jesus. Stop praying or wishing to see some miraculous manifestation of the risen Jesus. You might see him and still not believe and still struggle. Rather, pray for the eyes and ears of faith that you would see him in his word and know him through the power of the Holy Spirit in his word. Pray that you would see him at work in the world around you in Fayette County in the midst of his providence every day. His providence is over you. It's to your right. It's to your left. It's underneath you. It's behind you. Every day, every second of every day. Pray that he'll give you eyes to see him. Eyes of faith. Come meet with his people on the Lord's day. Come meet with his people. We, we, we say sometimes so trivial. We, we say in such a trivial, I, I don't believe I'm going to church this morning. Do you know what you're saying? You're saying, I don't believe I'm going to go see Jesus this morning. Jesus said, where two or three gather in my name, I will be there. That is why we should run to church. Run to His Word on the Lord's day that we might see, that we might see Jesus. Amen. Our hymn is before the throne of God above. But before we sing that, I will declare a benediction. You look up. Let's all look up and receive God's benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be inside of us and go with us and abide with us. And all of God's people said, Amen.